This morning, um, we're in a series called Storytellers. This is the second part of the two-part series. And maybe you were here last week and you were able to see the videos of people who you are rubbing elbows with who are, who, who are of our Wakefield location, who, whose lives have been changed, um, not because of LifePoint, but because of God. And uh, they have come to LifePoint and, and experienced God in a new way. And those are exciting stories. Um, those same stories were shown at our Six Forks location and just what an impact they had over there. It was, it was really awesome. Um, but this morning, you're going to hear live from some people who, who probably, if they, if, if, if they knew about that song that we just sang, we could make that their theme song, that through it all, through all their trials and tribulations, um, Christ was there, God was there with them, and his faithfulness has been proven in their life. We're excited to hear from them. Good morning. My name's Bob, and this is my million-dollar wife, Amy. And in our story, you'll find out why I call her my million-dollar wife. Oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> uh, about nine years ago, I was a very active, busy working wife and mother of two teenage daughters, one a freshman in high school, one a senior in high school, when I was diagnosed with myelofibrosis, which is a rare and incurable bone marrow disease. At, when we were given the diagnosis, uh, I was told I had about one to five years to live, and the only possible cure might be a bone marrow transplant. Thank goodness for the internet, uh, I spent two to three hours at the beginning of each day researching Amy's disease, uh, trying to find out as much as I could about it. And I talked to doctors all over the country, uh, Johns Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, MD Anderson, City of Hope in Los Angeles. And we ended up, uh, God pointed us to uh, Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center in Seattle, where transplants were developed over 30 years ago. Uh, what they told us was that if they could find a perfectly matched donor, that Amy would have about a 65% chance of surviving the procedure. Well, it wasn't great news, so um, I felt great. I thought, well, I would just wait for a, you know, a year or so. And so during that year, I prayed, and I prayed for God to show me what to do. And I'll be honest, I just didn't get it. Well, somewhere along the line, I, began, I ran the story of Solomon asking God for wisdom in the Old Testament and also James 1, 5 through 6, they held the key for me. What I found out is that you ask God for wisdom, you believe that he gives it, and then you act on it. And so this happened about the time my family was all out of town. And so I got down on my knees and I prayed. And what I heard was not a voice, but a thought in my head. And what it was, it says, my strength is sufficient for whatever you go through. So I felt that was the answer, and that it was time was to do the procedure. The only thing I was, af I was afraid, I had a fear, and that was going so far away without family and friends. But about a couple of days later, my daughter Heather called. She did not know I made a decision, and she said, Mom, if you decide to go out to Seattle and have this transplant, I'm going to take off from school and go with you, so you won't have to be alone. God is so good. We had health insurance, but... Unfortunately, this was considered an experimental or investigational procedure, so uh, they indicated that they probably would not pay for this. Uh, I had to send a check uh, for $253,000 as a down payment to get started. Um, the total cost of the procedure, they didn't know. They said it'd be well over a million dollars, depending on the complications. So uh, Amy and I had a small business, and I sat in my office uh, one Saturday morning, going over 
the problems that I felt I needed to solve. How was I going to finance this? Uh, how was I going to continue to run our business without Amy, who was a key part of it? How was I going to deal with uh, Amy being 3,000 miles away for several months uh, going through this procedure? Uh, how, how was I going to take care of our two daughters? Um, I, I couldn't come up with an answer. What I concluded was that this was an impossible situation for me. But Jesus has told us that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And when I remembered that, I said, God, this is your problem. I, just, I cannot handle this. And I immediately felt a big lifting of a weight and burden off of me when I did that. It was now God's problem. Well, Wednesday, uh, following that Saturday, I, I went home for, uh, uh, to get a bite to eat. And while I was there, the phone rang. It was a college roommate from Georgia Tech. And he said, Bob, we've been thinking about Amy. And we want to do something for her, but we don't know what we can do. He said, I know this. I've got a lot of money, and whatever it takes, I'll take care of it. So that was God working. Immediately, he had solved the money crisis, and he solved many others. Um, one of my best friends in high school had lived in Seattle for years, so he and his wife uh, were very helpful to us when we went out there. We... Um, we're also able to obtain a beautiful condominium. Well, it was, it, it was a very nice condominium. And in Seattle, when it's not raining, there are beautiful views. And so we had this, uh, this wonderful place for Amy to stay while she was out there. I had friends that volunteered to be caregivers. They took off from their lives and came out and spent time with me out there. Um, one of the things I worried about was how Bob and Laura would do back in Raleigh with, you know, without, without me. And um, people just stepped in and care of a search of the uh, worldwide search of donors was done and there was no match for Amy no perfect match but there was one match one possible match it was a not a complete match but they said it was they could it was within their protocol to use it uh, so we went with that the procedure itself a friend of mine who's in the medical business told me Bob this is as close as you can come to death without actually dying. Uh, they give you lethal doses of chemotherapy, and then they, it completely destroys your immune system. And then they infuse the donor cells, and they call that the rescue attempt. And they're hoping that the cells will engraft and produce new blood cells. Uh, it was very difficult. I, I saw a very experienced doctor crying at Amy's bedside when she was going through some of this. It was very difficult. Oh. I was out in Seattle for a total of five months recovering. I had lots of transfusions because I went from A positive to B negative. But when I left to come home Thanksgiving, I never had another transfusion. The other interesting thing that happened was the doctor told us, they, they tested me <clears throat> before uh, I had the transplant. And they, they didn't tell us the results until I left, and basically they told me that the disease was rapidly changing to a fatal condition from which I could not have recovered, I could not have had a transplant. Arbitrary timing? God's perfect timing. 
One of the nurses that took care of Amy was a woman who'd come back from being retired, and she had done the earliest transplants with Dr. Thomas 30 years before. And I asked her why, why she was there, and she looked at me and smiled, and she said, I'm here to take care of Amy. Another thing that God had done for us. Thanksgiving Day, we returned to Raleigh. We returned in a private jet that my friend had provided. In four and a half hours, we were back home, but God wasn't through yet. Two years before, the doctor in charge of the long-term recovery unit in Seattle had taken a job at Duke as head of the oncology department. At least that's why he thought he was there. But we know now that he was there and God provided him to take care of Amy. And while there are still issues that I'm dealing with, it was a blessing to go through. Uh, it has strengthened my faith. It was a testing of my faith. It was a personal encounter with God. And what I've learned is that the more I believe what God says in his scripture, and the more I trust him with every part of my life, the more joy and peace I have. There will be storms, but I know he will never forsake me. And for the past nine years, I have prayed Psalm 118.17. I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. has done for me let me tell you what he he has done for me he has done for you he has done for us come and listen come and listen to what he has done come and listen come and listen to what he has done so come and listen come and listen to what he has done come and listen come and listen to what he has done Good morning, we're Denise and Jerome Lazarczyk. We've been married for almost 10 years. We knew we always wanted children, so shortly after getting married, we tried to start a family. We tried to conceive for three years with various fertility treatments, but we never got pregnant. The doctors were confused. They thought it would work, and so did we. We now know it was God turning us over 100% over to adoption. In the summer of 2002, we began to work with a domestic adoption agency in San Antonio, Texas. Around Christmas time, we were matched with a birth mother who was expecting a girl. The case had some interesting legal aspects uh, because the birth father was in jail for an extended period of time, so he was basically out of the picture. And she was already the mother of a couple other children. Well, we started building an open adoption relationship and exchanged regular phone calls. Um, we had actually ultrasound pictures, and we were even planning a visit to see her when all of a sudden she just changed her mind. 
and it was devastating. It felt like the death of a child. So we told our adoption agency that we needed a timeout to grieve. And we said, don't show our album, you know, just give us, give us time. Well, about one week later, we got a surprise phone call that a birth mom wanted to talk with us. There was a baby, born, a baby boy that was born the night before, and the birth mom wanted to speak with us. This birth mom had expressed an interest in us many months before. We were only available now to match with this birth mom because the previous match that Jerome spoke about with the baby girl, because that match fell through. So we know that God had planned that, that, he, that that was his perfect timing. We took placement of our son, Anthony James, on January 26, 2003. Oh. Excuse me. <laughs> so we had to make a decision in our case, of the case right away. The agency needed an answer in an hour if we, would take Anthony, if we would take Anthony. And the situation was practically identical in every way to our first match. It was another Hispanic baby. The birth father was in jail for an extended period of time. This expectant mother already had children. So these similarities made it possible for us to say yes and accept this case given the short amount of time that we had. And we know that God planned that too. Now me. <laughs> okay, so we took place with our son, Anthony, as I told you. Um, he was just six days old when we took place with him. Just a tiny little package. And that moment of sheer joy quickly turned into fear and trepidation within about 24 hours. You see, first we found out that the birth father was going to get out of jail soon. And he would be able to contest the adoption in that case if he wanted to. Now, next we found out he was a minor, so his record, it wouldn't count against him. And then lastly, we started receiving threatening phone calls on, to Denise's cell phone from the birth father's grandmother stating their intention to contest the adoption. While our agency told us to flee the Dallas-Fort Worth area and return to San Antonio, where the agency was, to avoid legal complications and anything else, other drastic actions the birth family might take, birth father's family. Uh, we had to stay in Texas for two weeks until we were cleared to leave the state. And instead of a heartwarming time with my relatives in Dallas, it was a dark and brooding test of our faith in a lonely hotel room. And it felt like, where is God in all of this? Well, legal matters seem to continue to turn against us. The birth father and his family came up with money to retain one of the best lawyers in the Dallas area. The birth father was released from jail, and he started getting his life back on track again. However, God provided us with a wonderful opportunity to travel to Texas again. And to our amazement, we actually ran into the birth father and his family. Despite our fear, we chose to share Anthony with them. Talk about a leap of faith to let them hold our son and interact with him. We believe this was monumental in softening their hearts because after this, their passion for the case it just seemed to fade away. After an anxious wait in court, we were able to finalize Anthony's adoption in April 2004 when he was 15 months old. It was only by God's grace that we were able to endure this time. We clung to the verse, Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, after we moved here, we wanted to readdress our infertility, so we considered our options and decided to go with embryo adoption. That's where the remaining frozen embryos from someone else's in vitro fertilization cycle are donated to infertile couples. It was important for us to give these embryos a chance at life. It seemed the right thing to do in every possible way. Well, on the very first try, Denise got pregnant. After six and a half years, our prayers were finally answered. But at six weeks along, Denise miscarried. And we were both devastated. Our faith was really put to the test, and I was utterly convinced it was supposed to work. But even two more attempts didn't change the outcome. We were comforted knowing that in these three attempts, 16 embryos were released to be with Jesus. And we were reminded of Job 121. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We knew we'd be parents again. We just didn't know how. So in May 2005, we started the paperwork to adopt through Christian Adoption Services in Matthews, North Carolina. We chose this agency because they had a really short wait of about six months. However, during our wait, the agency went through one of its slowest time periods ever with waits of about one year. I opted not to teach full-time so I would have a more flexible schedule in case we got a last-minute phone call. So we had to trust that God would provide for us financially without my income. We wanted to adopt another Hispanic child, preferably a girl. As Donnie spoke about in church, we continued to pray a mountain-moving prayer. One year of waiting came and went, and the frustration was mounting. Now, I was honored to portray Joseph at LifePoint's Christmas Eve service from his perspective as the adoptive father to Jesus. What a blessing that was. And strangely appropriate, for little did we know that on that very day, our daughter was already born and waiting for us. A few days before Christmas, I had a major meltdown. I was so upset to see families that just signed up with the adoption agency receiving their babies. I cried on Jerome. I told him how unfair it was because we were supposed to have our baby by Christmas. Well, at the end of my pity party, I had a sense of peace and I told Jerome that God had something pretty big planned and that it was going to be so awesome to keep us waiting for so long. I'm sure God was chuckling, knowing how soon his plan was about to be revealed. Christmas Day arrived, and we were in good spirits seeing the joy of Christmas through Anthony's eyes. And around dinner time, Denise noticed she'd missed a call on her cell phone, and it was from a Charlotte number. So we all joked, oh, that must be the agency calling. Merry Christmas, we have your baby. And so I went ahead and checked my cell phone, and yeah, there was a message on there from the adoption agency. Um, they were hoping that we were in Charlotte, where Denise's parents live, because they wanted to discuss a case with us that very night. We decided to drive out the next, next day and not delay things there. Um, well, we hoped and prayed that, that we were chosen, that there would be a baby waiting for us or one about to be born. For years, we had picked out the name Emma Grace for our daughter, and on the drive over, we discussed names and felt led to change it to Emma Noel since we got the call on Christmas. Well, about 20 minutes into our meeting, we got the details 
that there was a Hispanic baby girl, she was 10 days old, and the agency chose us to be her parents. The birth mother's seven-day legal waiting period was up, so she couldn't change her mind. However, this too was another legal risk placement with an unknown birth father, so ads would have to be placed in the newspaper. We decided to accept this case, even though we had been through our fair share of legal issues with Anthony. We trusted that God would work it all out for good. Emma Noel was in our arms just two hours after arriving at the adoption agency. What a surprise and God thing to find out that during her stay in foster care, they were calling her Noel. It was an amazing blessing to receive our daughter the day after Christmas. God answered our prayers better than we could have imagined. Isaiah 40:31 brought us strength throughout, the, throughout our journey. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. We feel one of the reasons we have been through this journey is so that we can minister to others. So please feel free to talk to us if you are struggling with infertility or considering adoption. someone else to come up. <laughs> My name's Erica. Sorry, it's us. And this is Joel. Close. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it'd be, we did this first hour and I thought this would be a little easier, but oh my goodness. Our miracle is that Erica married me. <laughs> <laughs> you can all go home now. Uh, well, our story um, begins eight years ago, a little bit more than that, when we, we had been married for about four years, and we decided we were ready to start a family. And um, I didn't have any problems with, with getting pregnant or anything, and it was pretty textbook. I bought all the books, what to expect when you're expecting, you know. And um, they give you the worst-case scenarios of things, you know, and those books are terrible. Um, so everything was going along just as it should. I was um, teaching at the time. Joel was teaching at the time, and... Um, I happened to get a student teacher, and it was only about my fourth year teaching, and so it was a little strange that usually you have to have tenure, which meant you were working more than four years, and um, so for some reason they decided to just give me the student teacher, which later you'll um, hear later that was very um, important in this whole story. Um, So at about 26 weeks, um, I was in the teacher's lounge working on some things and discovered that I... um, think my water was breaking. Of course, this is my first pregnancy. Wasn't really confident as to what was going on, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So um, 
panicked a little bit, called the doctor. He said, well, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. Just wait it out and see what happens. <laughs> and so um, a few minutes later, no change, and it's getting worse. So I called again. He said, well, why don't you come to the hospital? So I'm driving. I called him first at work, told him what was going on, and I had to drive myself. Okay, and I can barely see out the windshield. Tears coming down, panic, panic. And, um, you know, in my life, I'd experienced some up and downs, just the basic stuff. Um, I'd had surgery in college, and um, it was a little scary for me because that was the first major trial in my life, really. And someone had given me a scripture, and it was Isaiah 41.10. And it said, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will hold you up. So I am thinking that verse in my head as I'm driving little confused, thinking, okay, this is not what I read. This is not how it's supposed to happen. You know, I'd done everything I was supposed to. Um, so I get there. They end up sending me in an ambulance ride, which my first ride, yay. And, um, and so they take me to this um, really great hospital that, that God really provided. Incredible doctors. There was a high-risk um, wing there. And they told me, we're going to admit you. Um, you need to be on complete bed rest um, indefinitely. And they, the goal was to try and to get me as far along as possible to where it was safer um, to deliver, deliver our baby. Um, so at that point, I was 26 weeks, right? So we settled in for a long winter's nap. It was December. Brought in the Christmas lights. Had the a video Christmas games. tree. Brought in video games. Played Jeopardy. Had to have um, something to do. And you know, and this is going to sound silly, but there were some little details in this thing that that really blessed me, like a nurse that washed my hair, um, doctors that just came in and were just incredible. And, you know, all along I'm thinking, okay, we can do this. This is easy. I can do this. I can stay in bed. I can deal with all this other gross stuff, these needles and everything. I can do this. And finally, you want to talk now? Sorry, honey, go ahead. No, no, you're doing great. <laughs> I think it was on you the seventh, home. A seventh day. I sent him home because we've been sleeping in a chair there. It just wasn't conducive to getting good sleep. So I sent you home. Go I, home. I, was considering going back to work at that point um, just because things were going along pretty smoothly. There was no drastic changes in her condition. And so um, so I went home for a, a, a pre-get-back-to-work uh, night uh, of just good sleep, hopefully. And uh, the phone rang and rang right next to my head, and I did not hear it um, And uh, because Erica at that point had an infection and uh, needed to be rushed to have an emergency C-section. So here I am enjoying my long winter's nap when my sister-in-law bangs on the door and uh and finally i got to the hospital uh, i got to the hospital and erica was already in procedure for the c-section and um so i had to wait a little while and then i was able to see um lydia our daughter for the first time and uh, erica talks about the pregnancy being textbook up until that point of of the 26th week and uh not really the baby i had hoped to um to, to picture for the first time, not really the baby I'd hoped to hold in my arms to for Erica too to hold in her arms for the first time, not that plump new baby smell um, that you get. Uh, here's this two pound four ounce baby that had skin that I could see right through. I could see every vein in her body, and uh, um, and she was on a ventilator, so that was hard. We couldn't touch her um, because of uh, of infection, and and uh, we had to be very sterile. So. Uh, so that was our experience with our with seeing Lydia for the first time, and it was it was quite upsetting. It was um, it was it was it was at that point where we had settled into um, to really go the long haul, and uh, and then that that day came, December sixth. Well, and I wake up 
still horizontal, and I turn and I see, I know you can't see this, but this is the first thing that I see, okay? And like Jill said, it's not what I expected. It wasn't me getting to sit up and feed her and hold her like I had planned. And um, it was just this constant um, thing with me of having to remember to trust God. And here's this baby that I have been carrying, you know, for 26 weeks, and all of a sudden, it's really out of control. It is really out of my hands. And I see this child and don't even get to hold her right away. And um, I, I remember going in for the first time, being wheeled into the NICU. And if you've never been to an NIC before, it's just another world. Miracles happen every day in there. Um, but, you know, she's in this isolate, and all these tubes are coming out of her, and you can't touch her yet. You can't hold her. And it was several several days before we could actually hold her. Um, but it was that reminder again, don't be afraid, I'm with you. And that verse in God's Word that says, cast your cares on me, and I will sustain you. So, again, things were not going the way I wanted them to go, but I just had to remember and trust. And honestly... I was still struggling with, okay, why me? Why did this have to happen to me? You know, you get sucked in into your own little bubble, and you think at the, it's just awful what's going on in your life. And you see all these other babies, and you think, why is this happening to me? You know, we, we had people praying everywhere for her to, to last longer within inside of me. And here this is happening, and you feel helpless and hopeless and frustrated all at the same time. Um, so... I think the hardest part for me was um, the morning that we had to leave and, again, not getting to carry her out with me in my arms as I'm wheeled out, but leaving without her and um, seeing other moms leave as they're holding their daughter or son. And um, so for us to have to go home and have to drive back and forth, I mean, we were coming back and forth two or three times a day um, just to see her, and eventually it led to getting to hold her and do a kangaroo carry. You got to hold them on your chest and... um, I think, you know, overall, I, I think all that happened, we're, I'm thankful for, I know we're both thankful for, because it's a constant reminder so that whatever happens in our future, I know it was eight years ago, but, you know, there are stories, and you hear these stories today, you see, read stories in the Bible, um, things happen, and you can choose to use them as a, a reminder of God's faithfulness. You can become bitter, you know, but God wants us to use those stories um, to show us his faithfulness, and truly, once we got through that, um, finally getting her to come home. You want to talk now? I'm sorry again. You want to talk about bringing her home? (laughs) So fast forward through our our hospital stay. um, Things went pretty smoothly for for Lydia. Um, There were a few, you know, setbacks, but but nothing out of the norm for them in the NICU that they hadn't seen before. And we weren't expected to bring her home until um, March, uh, but she did really well and was able to come home in February. So that was was a blessing for us two months after her birth. And... um, so bringing her home and, and uh, being able to take her to, to stores and things at four pounds, five ounces, that was a trip. People saw and kind of looked twice at, you know, the, the size of that baby, make sure it wasn't a, a doll or something. But we, um, we have been blessed. I, um, Lydia is healthy. Lydia has not had any major issues from her um, premature birth. And um, we're, we're blessed in that. And I think what we learned um, as a couple is um, – we learned we we definitely grew closer, but we learned what surrender meant. We learned what it meant to not have any control over a situation, and to not want to grasp well to want to grasp that back, but to understand in the end it, it really is is out of our control, and that's where trust and faith jumps in and comes in and is huge in our life. And um, we've you know 
I up until that point had led a pretty tragic free life, and uh, so that was that was the time for God to teach me that, and uh, and I know that that lesson will come into play in my life sometime again. Um, and we just want to want you to know that we understand that everyone. There's people in this room who've gone through a story like ours, and it doesn't have a nice little bow wrapped on the end of it. I under, I want to you to know that I understand that. And I sympathize with you on that. And I don't understand why ours has that pretty bow at the end. Um, I do know this, that it's made me appreciate every single day with my kids to soak it up, to know that tomorrow Lydia or Ella or Sophie, they, they could be gone uh, for whatever reason, to soak up every day. I know I've been taught that, and I'm appreciative of that. But just know that God is with you no matter where you are in that story, if you're going through something similar, um, Eric is going to attempt to sing a song. I forgot to show you the diaper, look. There's our diaper, about the size of a Kleenex. <laughs> you might need that. Don't wipe your nose with that, honey. <laughs> yeah. That's a keepsake. No, I'm going to try and sing these, song, this, these words of this song, but um, this, this song we, um, I clung to during this time, and it just basically says he's always been faithful to me, and even up to this point, there's been trials in our lives still. But you just cling to that, that he is always going to be faithful to provide what we need, not what we necessarily think we want or what we plan, but God has a perfect plan for us, and he loves us and will always be there to, to take care of us and hold on to us and lift us up and give us the strength when we can't muster up our own. Um, so he's always been faithful. 